Welcome to Newer Church with Corey Turner. We pray you encounter God and become more like Jesus through this message. To find out more, visit us at numa.church. Why don't you go with me to Leviticus 6, chapter 12. Leviticus 6, chapter 12. Some of you think I'm joking. No, I'm being serious. Go to Leviticus 6, chapter 12. Hey, also, we're just um, so excited about uh, what God's doing in our relationship and partnership with Bethel and BSSM. And uh, we just want to welcome Hannah B and a number of BSSM students. Can you please put your hands together and just honour these guys? And there's a number of Bethel alumni and we honour you guys. Thank you so much for coming. You may uh, find one of these burning ones laying a hand upon you and praying for you. Just receive it. Go with it, and, uh, and as well as our ministry team over conference. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 12 to 13. The Bible says, The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it, and shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, sustaining revival fire. How do we sustain revival fire in our lives? You know, it was in 1916 that C.L. Greenwood, our founding father, started a prayer meeting in his house on a Thursday night, went to a Friday night, went to a Saturday night, went to a Sunday night. And for nine years, four nights a week, people met at his house. And they prayed for revival. In 1924, in partnership with a man by the name of A.C. Valdez, fire of God broke out in the suburb of Sunshine in Melbourne, what became known as the Sunshine Revival. And our church was birthed out of that move of God. Moved to Paran Town Hall and within weeks we moved to Richmond Theatre, literally the building that's just uh, over the laneway parallel to this building. And from... Uh, 1925 to now, uh, nearly 100 years, the fires of revival have been burning, but they've also ebbed and flowed, and in particular seasons and in some decades of the history of the church, there was a waning of that revival fire. And when the Lord called us and put upon our hearts to come and and take up the mantle of leadership and, and to be spiritual parents in this house, along with other fivefold uh, graces in the leadership of the church, he put upon our hearts, Psalm 85, 6, Lord, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? And there was such a desire in our hearts to actually redig the wells of what God did yesteryear and say, thank you, God, for what you did. But Lord, we believe that that wellspring of revival that is in this house is not just meant to be talked about in the history books and the birthing of Pentecostal movements and charismatic movements in this nation, but it's actually supposed to be something that is not just for the present generation, but for the generations that are to come. And, and so as we came into Revival Conference and as the Lord began to give us a, a vision for churches to carry a spirit of revival in this nation, last year, Revival Conference and Ben 
came and he ministered and I will always honour Ben for not just his friendship and who he is and what he carries, but God used him to, if I could describe it in any way, it's like the, the, the balloon of hunger, the balloon of, of revival was fully inflated and what happened that weekend was like the pin in the balloon and it just spilled over. Yeah. It was midday on August 28th, forever will be known as Super Bowl Sunday in our church. And after an inglorious weekend of, of, of revival conference and a leaning in and God setting people free, I was in the side tunnel. I prayed a simple prayer. God, will you father me at a deeper level? I, I, I had an understanding somewhat in revelation of the father heart of God. I, I'd, I'd answered that call of sonship, but there was this cry, this desire within me to actually come into a deeper, richer experience of the Father heart of God. No sooner had I walked 10 meters, than the Lord spoke to me and said, are you serious about that? Because if you are, I will answer that prayer. And I said, yes, Lord, this is my heart's desire. Father me at a deeper level. Five minutes later, as we began to open up the altars in this room and, and we began to just sense what God was doing, the only way I can describe it is that It was like I was blasted with a Holy Ghost cannon off the top of Mount Everest. That's the only way I can describe it. And literally every faculty and everything that I like to keep in check and and in control, I was immobilized, paralyzed, and, and completely inebriated in the spirit. I've never been drunk in the natural, but I was certainly beyond drunk. Definitely over 0.05, I'm pretty sure, on that day. And when I finally came to, three people helped me up onto the platform and the first words out of my mouth were, I repent of man-made control. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And for the first time, even though I'd preached that word many times and like many pastors and leaders in this room, I'd, I'd taught on that and I discipled others in that. For the first time, as revelation to my heart, I understood what that meant. I understood that God had done something in me where my thinking changed, my appetites changed, my heart's affections changed, everything within me changed where all I wanted was Him and it didn't matter what anyone else thought on that day. On that moment, the fear of man was broken off of my life. And God began to break out, literally holy pandemonium broke out. When the leader actually comes clean, when those who are appointed in spiritual authority acknowledges, I didn't know those words were going to come out of my mouth. And people came to me and said, you're not a controlling leader. What is that about? And I was talking about control of me. Control of my life. And, And I realized in that moment that I'd always held something back that there was always a part of me that lived in fear that I couldn't fully trust God or I couldn't fully go where God was leading me. And as the spiritual leader and authority begin to take responsibility to repent of that and change my mind and heart and turn away from that, it gave everybody else permission in the room. And all of a sudden, for the next 12 hours, holy pandemonium broke out, mass outpouring, of healing and repentance and deliverance and baptism in the Spirit and salvation. And literally over several months and what feels like 38,000 revival services later, this wave of miracles and this move of God, there were pastors and leaders here on that day that witnessed it and they came up to me 
12 hours later. And they said, you know, how are you going to sustain this? And, and I, my initial response, you know, whether I was in heaven or earth, I'm not sure. I just said, look, I've got no idea. So I went to the Lord and I said, how are we going to sustain this? He said, wrong question. He said, you didn't start it, so you don't have to sustain it. He said, I started it, so I'll sustain it. You just have to remain in me. And, and as we're seeing this, this momentum and this groundswell begin to move and, and then as ministers, people come in and go back and they testify what breaks out in the church and as team members go and minister in other locations and, and what we see here is starting to break out there, you, you, you realise that what God is doing doesn't require our leadership. Too many leaders are, are, are concerned about leading the next move of God rather than following the leader, the Holy Spirit. All I do every day is wake up, pour out my heart before the Lord and say, God, what do you want to do today? What do you want to do this week? What's it to look like today? And I've learned it's so much easier if we would just yoke ourselves to Him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. When I start to feel a bit tired and weary and like I'm, I'm straining, I just remind myself, unless the Lord builds a house, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labour in vain. And there's just been this commitment to just stop and pause and not rush. That's why we take lots of time and we don't apologise for it in a climate and in a world that is, you know, wham, bam, thank you, man, to the second, every meeting, every service, everything has to be there. Uh, it's not thus says the run sheet, it's thus says the Lord. And, and we gotta, we got to follow that pillar of fire. we got to follow that cloud where it's leading us. But we've also got to understand that what God has started in us, he actually wants to be sustained by our partnership with him. Revival fire should never go out. First part of verse 12 in this passage, it says to us, the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. You know, five times in Leviticus 6, the priests were commanded to Keep the fire burning. And there are several reasons for this. One of these reasons is because God started it. And God was actually asking for the priests to partner, not to sustain in their own strength, but to partner with what God had started in honour of what God was doing in their midst. Secondly, that this continual fire was a sign of perpetual and continual worship of relationship in the nation of Israel. That there was to be this posture of not just 90 minutes on a Sunday or an hour on a Sunday but or on the Sabbath to recognise the holiness of God. But there was to be this perpetual worship. Thirdly, that there was a daily need to stay dependent upon God. That by renewing the wood on the altar every day, there was this daily dependence upon relationship with God. And if the fire went out, it meant man had something to do with it. The lack is never on God's end. We understand this. And yet so often when things don't go our way or things aren't happening according to our vision or expectation, in our ministries or in our lives, we, we tend to begin to ask God the questions, you know, why and you know, how and what. It's amazing. The devil's greatest deception is to get us to point the finger 
at God for all of the lack that we see in our lives and not recognize his influence in a situation or the need for us to take responsibility to actually partner with what God is doing. Revival fire is a partnership between God's sovereignty and our sacrifice. What does Psalm 110.3, it says, it's, your people offer themselves freely in the day of your power. How many of us know the day of God's power is determined by God's sovereignty, but you offering yourself freely is determined by you. We can recognize the Kairos moment, the God-appointed window of opportunity and what God is presenting to us. But there's got to be a discernment. There's got to be an interpretation of the time and of the hour. And I really pray that for us these next few days, let alone the body of Christ in Australia, we will recognize and discern the time and the hour that we are in. Not just for your city, not just for your town, not just for our nation, but for the nations of the earth. Revival is on God's heart right now across planet earth. An awakening is building across the earth. Uh, Revival fire is breaking out, but what starts as an ignition of sorts is meant to become a wildfire that consumes his church. What does the Bible say? He is our consuming fire. You know, if you've studied textbooks and history books, they'll tell you most revivals have a beginning and an ending. But I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, don't get so enamored by studying the textbook that you forget to study the heart of God. Sometimes we get so caught up in, in, in as, as people who are hungry for the flame and hungry for more of God and hungry for awakenings and revivals that we end up studying revivals more than we study the presence of God. And we sort of begin to sort of draw conclusions and put full stops where God's only put a comma. The conversation's continuing. Even in the Old Testament, under the Mosaic law, the fire was not to go out. How much more in the New Testament covenant church and amongst his people should the fire not go out? I remember one night years ago, 1 a.m. in the morning, I was awoken to a sizzling noise outside our bedroom window. Simone was asleep, the kids were asleep, and I was curious. So I went to the bedroom window, and here were the electrical lines and the telephone pole going up in flames. So you would have thought that my first initial response was, call the fire department, but no. No, my first response was, this is my burning bush moment. I will turn aside to see this great sight. So I literally put my sneakers on, I ran outside and I edged towards the sizzling sound. And I'm leaning in, literally everyone else is asleep in the suburb. I lift my hands and I say, speak Lord. For your servant is listening. And all that came back was more sizzling as the fire now is consuming the telephone pole. Trees are catching on fire. The house is about to catch on fire. I thought maybe right about now I should actually call the fire department, call the fire brigade, and while I was waiting for them, things are going up in flames and everyone else around me is asleep. Only one was awake to the fire that was burning in the neighbourhood. And right there, the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, Son, my fire is burning, but my people are asleep to it. And I really believe that in this hour, the Lord is coming to his people and he's coming to his church and he's saying, wake up, oh sleeper. 
and arise from your sleep and arise. It's no longer time to be Captain Snooze. It's time for your people of God to arise and let his enemies be scattered. But it isn't just in the heart of God to arise, but he's calling his church to arise in this hour. You know, there's never been a problem with a lack of supply from heaven, but there's always been a problem with a lack of demand from earth. The Lord spoke to me from Isaiah 65 two all day long, I have held out my hands to an obstinate, stubborn people. The invitation, how many know the invitation's always there? The, the, the door... The the knock on the door of your heart is always there. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. The knocking doesn't go away. The issue is, do do you actually respond? Do you answer what God is actually extending to you? 1 Thessalonians 5.20 talks about not quenching the spirit. That word quench literally means extinguish. In other words, don't become a fire extinguisher. Don't, Don't put out the spirit's fire. Don't snuff out the things of the Spirit. You say, how do we become fire extinguishers? How do we quench? How does that revival fire not be sustained in terms of our, our part to play in that? Well, there's all sorts of things, and you and I would be familiar with some of things, but uh, some of these things, but definitely man-made control will cause the the fire of revival to be quenched. You know, if you do study revivals, revivals never ended because of excess. Revivals only ever ended because of man-made control. And what often comes with control is the fear of man. Well, what what is that new person going to think with sister so-and-so, you know, just being a jack-in-the-box over there in the corner and and someone screaming over here, and what, 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 what is that person going to think? And, and I know, I used to think like that. And then you try and tone it down, and you realise the dove just left the building. And then you start to participate in pigeon religion versus the ministry of the Spirit, and before you know it, it's dry, and it, 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 it's according to what you can do in your own strength. Pride comes along with the fear of man. Because it's more concerned about self than it is about God's honour. It's like, the Lord's like, you want revival? You're only going to have it on my terms. It's not on your terms. It's not according to what you can control. It's not according to your palate or your appetite. It's like, we want God to fit into our nice, neat boxes. Many leaders I know, many believers would rather be a part of a great church and be a part of a move of God. Because a move of God is fundamentally different. It's beyond anointed meetings. It's beyond uh, anointed ministry. There is this rawness, this unbridledness. There is this hunger. There is this thirst. There is this love passion. And every uh, uh, demonstration of love that is sacrificial is always seen as excessive to the lukewarm in heart. And so what quenches the spirit? Judgmentalism and criticism and cynicism. And often we, of those who are in the river and swimming for our lives, can sort of judge others that, 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 that maybe, you know, are outside of our realm of experience. But never let your lack of experience become the, the measuring stick for someone else's breakthrough or deliverance or freedom. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know what darkness has has attacked their home or darkness has attacked their life. 
They were slaves to sin. They were dead in their sin. They were in bondage, but now they've been made alive with Christ. You should be a little bit happy about that. There should be some joy and some overflow about the fact that, that you know what, I once was dead, I once was blind, but now I can see and now I'm alive. You know, revival fire burns as long as there is fuel to burn with. And what did the priests have to do every morning? The Bible says they shall burn wood on it every morning and they shall arrange the burnt offering on it. Now, every morning the priests would go to the fire and they would clean out the ash. They would renew the fire with wood. Proverbs 26.20 says, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. Any fire is gonna die if it runs out of material to burn. Here in Australia, we know of the, the, the bushfires. Several years ago, Black Saturday here in Victoria uh, swept through, uh, wiping out one million acres of, of land in King Lake. And I remember riding through there and, and just seeing literally, as far as the eye could see, just barren wasteland, the fire goes through and you go there now, it's now green and there's new growth and it's lush. But you know, in the natural, for a fire to burn, it needs sort of three elements. You need a combustible material, you, you, you need an oxygen-rich compound and you need a heat source. If you lack any one of those three things, you're not gonna have a fire. Well, for a revival fire to burn in your heart and your church and in your ministry and in our land, it needs those three elements. Firstly, it needs a combustible material. What's that? That's you. Paul said, I beseech you, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. In other words, the only reasonable, rational, intelligent thing to do in light of what Jesus has done for you is every day to wake up and be the combustible material and present your body to Him, present your mind, present all that you are to Him. Secondly, you need an oxygen-rich compound. What's that? That's the word of life. That word that brings life, that, that word that brings light. Hebrews 6.12, for the Word of God is living. It's active. It pierces every day. We need that word of life, that oxygen-rich compound to actually come and, and, and examine our hearts and dissect and slice and dice truth from error. And we need a heat source. What's that? That's the Holy Spirit. And that's praying in the Spirit. Ephesians 6 talks about praying in the Spirit on all occasions, it's amazing. If you just come every day and present your body as a living sacrifice, put that wood of your heart on the altar again and allow that word to breathe life into you and to begin to lift your voice with that baptism of fire that is inside of you and begin to articulate that language of another world, that language of angels, that language of heaven. I'm telling you, fire will burn in your heart. You know, for some of us, um, one of the other things that we need to understand in how fires burn, and think about a youth camp fire. Anyone remember youth camp fires? Been around the youth camp. 
and the, 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 the dude's leading you in worship, the youth pastor's leading you in worship, we're all singing kumbaya. It's like grab the hand of the person next to you and you're just so excited because you're sitting next to the pretty girl at, 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 the, at the campfire and you're like, yes, that's, a, that's the will of the Lord. Let's hold hands. Let's touch and agree in Jesus' name. <laughs> And you begin to sing kumbaya. You remember that campfire? Oh, don't look at me so holy. I was not the only one who was touching and agreeing. And, and, and all clean, obviously. And when you come around a campfire, if you look at the campfire, you know that it isn't just those three things that make the campfire burn, but actually it's the space between the wood. And if all the wood is on top of each other, it suffocates the fire. Some of us have no space for the Spirit of God in our lives. There's no margin for the miraculous. You go through the Gospels, you go through the book of Acts, and, and you see as Peter and John are going to the temple at the hour of prayer, they have margin for the miraculous. Because that lame beggar was, was, was wanting something. And Peter said, silver and gold I don't have. I don't have much margin there today. I haven't been to the ATM and got out some cash. But let me tell you what I've got margin for. I've got a revelation of the power and authority of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Is there any margin for the fire of the Holy Spirit to burn in your heart? You know, one of the best things that you could do coming out of this conference is to just make room. All afternoon we've been talking and hearing about reduction and stripping back and simplifying and maybe the word of the Lord for a busy, complex world right now and a busy, complex church is you, you need to create some space for the fire to burn. Do you have any space for the fire to burn in your heart and in your life? You know, several years ago, God just placed upon my heart and even as a young Bible college student, my late 90s, our own Dr. Mike here at our, our um, church here who oversees our School of the Spirit and he was my ministry lecturer and he said, son, if you want to be a man of God, wake up every morning, spend an hour in the Word every day, spend an hour in prayer. And he wasn't trying to be legalistic or just simply the principle of time but the principle of intimacy. And he said, if you want to be a man of God, do that every day for the rest of your life and you'll discover what it means to be a man of God. And several years ago, then the Lord just began to put upon my heart to give my morning hours to the Lord. That each day, multiple morning hours, three, four, five hours. And it wasn't about the principle of time as it was about the principle of the first fruits of my day. The first thing you do in the morning. It's interesting that the Lord instructed the priests every morning. When you wake up and when you get ready for a new day, His mercies are new every morning. I will awaken the dawn with praise. There's so many references in the Scriptures, in the Bible with awakening the dawn and, and every new morning laying wood out upon that altar and saying, God, here I am again, burn in my heart. Every one of our team knows don't bother trying to set an appointment for me before a certain time. You're not going to find me. Why? Because I need to put some more wood on that altar. I need to present my body every morning, every day, every moment as a living sacrifice. You see, the fuel that we burn with must be pure. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that the priest not only shall offer up the burnt offerings, but they shall offer the fat of the peace offerings. Now, I don't know about you, but fat, you know, ha hasn't got a good reputation in, uh, 
health circles these days and most people are trying to get you to cut down on fat intake, but when it applies to the peace offerings, fat was the best portion. It was God's portion. It was what was reserved for God. And you would offer up the fat as a praise offering of thanksgiving. Some of you are just feeling better about that chocolate donut you had this afternoon, aren't you? I know you are, Joe. And, uh, you know, it's interesting when the prodigal son came home, that father killed what? The fatted calf. It was a praise offering of thanksgiving. It was a celebration. It was offering the best portion. All throughout Deuteronomy and Numbers, when it talks about bringing a dedication, bringing an offering, it talks about bringing the best portion. Are you doing all that you can to bring your best portion? Not as an act of legalism, not as in trying to earn something from God. When God asks us to do something, it's not legalism, it's discipleship. It's obedience, it's, it's drawing near to the heart of God and responding to what God is asking of us. Even in the natural, when it comes to you know, exercise, I'll talk about fat being a pure energy source. It, if you burn more fat or exercise on, on your fat stores, it, it sustains your energy more, it builds your metabolism, it reduces your sugar cravings. It's interesting, in Numbers 31, after Israel destroyed the Midianites, God instructed the nation that as they brought the spoil back, particularly material spoil, obviously not people and livestock, but but material spoil, that only that which had passed through the fire was to be allowed in the camp. What if we had such a commitment as God's people that only that which has been passed through the fire of revival in our lives will we entertain. Only that which has gone through the fire of holiness will mark our lives and stay with us. You know, the process of purifying gold is that metal goes through the refiner's fire and it brings impurities to the surface. And I've discovered over these last 10, 11 months, when God's fire comes close, what's not holy gets exposed. I've never had to repent so much in all my life. But, but often we think repentance is this negative thing. It's a beautiful thing. It'll save you. And things that I wasn't even aware of that I was thinking or meditating upon or focusing upon all of a sudden now comes to the surface. Why? Because we are in the refiner's fire and the impurities of our hearts and that which pulls and, and grates against the holiness of God is revealed to us not to condemn us and not to shame us, but to actually bring us into a greater revelation of who we are as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You know, I think that's why the psalmist says in Psalm 139, 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and lead me in your way everlasting. You know, last week, um, one of our, uh, prophets, one of our prophetic eagle team, Kelly and, and her husband, were driving to the conference every day and they'd come across the same truck on the highway, on the freeway. And I think there's a photo of it coming up. And on the back of the truck was this sign that said, Jet Fuel. 
And it was like a prophetic declaration of what they were stepping into at conference here these few days. Interesting thing about aviation fuel, it's much cleaner than car fuel because of the altitudes in which uh, planes and jets have to travel at. And, and I really saw in that, look, look, if we wanna go hiring God, the fuel of our heart has to be cleaner. The fuel of our heart has got to be pure. You say, where is that in the Bible? The Bible says in Psalm 24, 3, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. That if there is a place, you know, in Revelation, it talks about come up here, the invitation from heaven to John the Revelator, come up here. And, and there was this almost this cleansing and purging process that, that John went through as he recognises what was taking place before him. If we want to go higher in our intimacy, I'm not talking about higher in your position, higher in your influence, higher in and, and, a, and a greater, I'm talking about higher in your intimacy and relationship with Jesus. If we want to burn with revival fire, oh God, make the fuel of our hearts burn pure. Because if the fuel we burn with isn't pure, our fire is going to become strange. Now, I want you to just go with me over to Leviticus 10. Leviticus 10, because we have the most amazing thing that happens to two PKs, priest's kids, pastors, the original pastor's kids. That after this instruction about how the offering should take place, in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1, the Bible says in verse 1, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire. Literally means strange or foreign fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. And then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. You know, it's really interesting. Nadab and Abihu represent in this uh, context, generation and time, it's like today's move of God, the original PKs. They've got invitations to preach and minister. They've got an inheritance. People know of Aaron and Moses and the relationship and the family dynamics and there's such a blessing of inheritance. They've got Instagram followers. They've got testimonies of miracles and signs and wonders and all that they saw as they went through the wilderness and, and heading towards the promised land. But one day of poor choices Instead of today's move of God, they became yesterday's move of God. Robert Sliarden wrote a book called God's Generals and many of us have read this book and as you read through the list and the stories and the narratives of those who have gone before us, you realise that being used by God today doesn't necessarily guarantee you're going to be used by God tomorrow. That if like Nadab and Abihu, we ignore God's thing and do our thing we will become very quickly yesterday's move of God. And I think this is so important that as we talk about revival and as 
there seems to be this awakening that's happening in the wider church, not just to speaking in tongues or not just to miracles or, 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 or not just to the moving of the Spirit, but actually a global awakening across the earth in the body of Christ that we understand that, that, it, that if we start to do our thing and ignore God's thing, we're going to miss out on everything that God wants to do in our lives and in our generation. Think about Moses the great prophet who talked with God face to face. He was on the mountain with God and experienced such terror of intimacy with God. And yet even when Moses did his thing and ignored God's thing, he missed out on the fullness of the promise that God was wanting to bring him into. You see, you've got to understand in the old covenant, the ceremonial law was given to actually teach Israel to preserve the sanctity and glory of who God is. And as we move into the new covenant, whilst many things, thank God, has changed, as we go through the cross, he's still called the Holy Spirit. He's still calling us to burn for him in such a way that there is a purity of heart, not in a self-effort or a striving, but in a desire of our hearts. Be holy, Peter said, as he is holy. There's a consecration and there is a setting apart and there is a marking. You think about 1 Peter 4, 17, it says it's time for judgment to begin in the house of God. And even as we look at things that are unfolding in the media and all over the earth and in our own nation, there's almost this holy fear and terror. I would encourage you, dare us not point the finger at anybody. But let us humble ourselves and go in low like little children and pray for our brothers and sisters that are facing all manner of pressures and things that we have no idea of. And yet God is calling us not just to be today's move, but He wants to move in your life and through your life tomorrow and in the years to come. But if we are going to be those people, we've got to make sure we don't start doing our thing and ignore God's thing. Come on, somebody. Think about Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, building a monument, building a name for themselves to the heavens. God won't add his presence to any tower that's built in the name of anybody else except the name of Jesus. Think about King Saul. He lost his anointing, but he didn't lose his crown for 20 years. The scary reality is you can lose your cutting edge. You can lose that revival fire and retain your position in your ministry for year after year after year, but that cutting edge has now become blunt. The Lord is wanting us to guard our hearts from over-familiarity with, with what we're experiencing and what we're seeing. We haven't even seen anything yet. This is only the beginning of what God wants to do. We've got to make sure we don't become bored with the blessing. You know, us leaders, you know, high-octane, five-fold ministry gifts in this room, you become easily bored. Spiritual ADD. And so I preached, you know, the message last week at conference and the team said, you're going to preach that next week. Nah, I'm bored. Let's, let's get, seek God for a new one. And I was genuine about, you know, see, but, but uh, you know, in ministry, sometimes you can become bored. And you can get all sort of caught up with, with what God's doing and, and, and just switch it on and you can become professional. And once you know how to write a message, once you know how to do a worship set, you can just turn it on and you can become professional. Oh God, Lord, don't let us lose the awe and the wonder of the privilege of carrying this fire. 
You've got to guard your heart against an apathy and a complacency. Otherwise, you and I will start to offer strange fire. You know, revival fire is sustained by giving ourselves as a living sacrifice to God every day of our lives. The Bible says in verse 13 that this fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. You know, as awesome as what God is doing in our life and in your life and in your ministry, our focus, our passion and desire is not on revival. We don't give attention to revival. We give our affection to God. And I I just want to ask you today, was there a time in your life where you were more on fire for God than you are right now? Because for many a Christian, the spiritual biography reads, was once ablaze. Was once ablaze. You used to turn up every time the prayer meeting doors opened. You used to hear that whisper, come away with me and spend time with me. And you wouldn't offer up the excuses. You'd just run and you'd just go. Every love offering, every offering you'd give. Because you just couldn't get enough of it. You wanted all of it. You were hungry. Are you the most on fire for God that you've ever been before in your life? Because I hear the Spirit of God saying, it's time for my people to present themselves on the altar again. That altar of living sacrifice. Where at any given moment, any attitude that comes, any impurity that comes to the surface, we literally stop, we get down on our knees and we get on the altar again and we say, God, here is my life. I want to invite you to stand with us tonight. And I want to invite you to actually, if you say, God, tonight, I need that blaze to be kindled. I need that revival fire to be ignited. You know, to sustain something, first of all, you've got to get it. You can't sustain something. You can't partner with the Spirit of God if that, that flame is not there. And it's more than just an anointed moment in worship. It's an encounter. We encounter I encountered something. And it changed me. And now it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So tonight... If you know you need to respond to this and you know maybe the fire isn't burning as strongly as what it needs to, wherever you are right now, I invite you to come to this altar and present your body, present all that you are to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Run to this altar, get to this altar and say, God, have all there is of me. Have all there is of me. Jesus, I want to invite you to begin to just cry out to God, to begin to call out to Him right now, wherever you are. Cry out to Him. Call out to Him. Push right to the front, right to the front. I don't mind if people are on the steps here. Come right to the front, right to the front. Just push your way in, push your way in. And the truth is, maybe all of us need to be out, but wherever you can get to, that's your altar right now. 
wherever you can get to, whether you're in the aisle or you're on your seat or you're at the front, wherever you can get to, this is your altar. This is your altar. You know, last conference on the opening night, I preached on the wasted life. What the disciples called the waste, Jesus called beautiful. When Mary at Bethany poured out that alabaster box, everyone around, even the ministry team said, that's a waste. But Jesus said, oh no, that's beautiful. There'll be those who will criticise people closest to you. Family won't understand. Even some ministry leaders and we will honour them, but not everyone's going to understand. And they look at the excess and they look at the sacrifice and say, what a waste. Oh no, Jesus looks at it and says, that's beautiful. And so today, God, we come to you. We come to you, Lord, with fully surrendered and submitted hearts. And we throw ourselves upon that altar again, oh God. And we say, all on the altar, surrendered again. God, I pray for your consuming fire to come and fall on the sacrifice of our hearts. Fire will always fall on sacrificial worship. It will always fall on sacrificial worship. Come wherever you are, turn it into your altar right now. Just just in the Spirit, climb up on that altar. Just climb up on that altar and lay your life down and waste your life for Him. Waste yourself for Him. He calls it beautiful. He sees it as beautiful. Come on, pour out your heart, pour out your love, pour out your alabaster box upon Him. Thank you for listening to Numa Church with Corey Turner. We pray that you have been blessed by today's message. Please follow us on our social media platforms and visit our website, numa.church.